I think it's all about the mindset that you go into it with. If you go in with like, okay, I'm going to sell this person hard. We're going to like, this is going to, they're going to feel that because you said, Hey, I want to market you. I want to get to know you. I want you on my podcast because I respect what you're doing. And then you're like, sell, sell, sell there. Like I, there's something off here. Like this feels weird. So if you go into the mindset of like, Hey, you could be a good client for me. Literally, I just want to build a good relationship. And if there's any point in time in this conversation where I can help you, I'm going to offer that, that information, that help. Um, Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. It is such an honor to have Zach Mitchum on today. I met Zach in Las Vegas at Ryan Pineda's event, where he was one of the speakers delivering strategy on how to build a business through podcasting, which was like music to my ears. The things that I picked up, I learned, I wrote down. He shared a lot of things. And we're going to go over some of those things today and go even a lot deeper. But as always, Zach, if you'll take us into what is the craziest real estate experience you've had so far in your life? Yeah, yeah. So we brought this up. I, I mean, I'm in YouTube strategy. I'm in podcasting. I, I don't really, I'd love to get into real estate. I've thought about it a lot. But the experience that I have is actually when I was younger, we, I've moved 35 times total in my life. Um, it's like 15 or 20 of those were because my dad had a home improvement company. He'd buy houses, flip them and then move us again. Um, and then even my parents after that, after they got divorced, my mom and stepdad would build a house. We'd live in it for a couple of years. It'd appreciate it, sell it. We'd do it again. Like it's just moving all over because real estate, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. So let's talk about that. Cause I mean, you probably have one of the most, uh, your parents are probably one of the most successful investors in that way of anybody I've ever heard. I just interviewed a gal yesterday that has, a similar story where she's being exposed to properties, but she's not moving 35 times. Yeah. So what's the good, the bad, the ugly of being the son of parents that do that much moving and flipping? Yeah, I think, so start with good. I think you get used to change. Um, I do have, and I, this is something I talk about occasionally, but I have autism spectrum disorder. So I have change and getting, interacting with people is hard. And you'll see a lot of people like me that can't interact with people. I was forced. Like there was no, <laughs> there's no option. You're moving every, I mean, I'm only 30. So moving 35 times, I've moved more than once of every year I've been alive. Um, so getting out of your shell, getting comfortable with that and just seeing that nine to five is not the only way to make money. I think I, for me, because my parents were entrepreneurs or, you know, flipping houses, things like that, I just feel like that's normal. And it's like single digit percentage of people are actually entrepreneurs and successful. And it's like, oh, that's my normal, like the working and things I've had to do that way. That's not normal. Um, so I think that's good. The bad is uh, as an adult, making friends and keeping friends has been a really hard thing to do. I have to work at it because that was never what you did. It's like, oh, well, we'll be gone in six months. So if I don't like you, what? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't need to interact <laughs> with you. Um, we have neighbors now. We have a nice house here in Denver area. And it's like, oh, well, I've actually got to get it to know my neighbors, hopefully be friends with them, but at least be on, on good terms. And so um, there's a lot of good there. There's a lot of bad there. And everybody's experience is different and it's, it's not good or bad. It's just different. I think. Yeah. And you kind of bring the strengths and the weaknesses of whatever, whatever your experiences have been. So in, in some senses, it's made you much more social than you would have been, but yeah. maybe much less likely to view friendships as long-term. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And lately as you know, I've been married almost a decade now and we've slowed, well, we've still moved a lot, but we've slowed that down and we, we have a house and now I'm like, okay, brain, we have to make friends. You have to like, these are your neighbors for hopefully the next at least decade. So let, let's do that. But it is a lot of work to have to 
switch that mindset of where most people are like, Hey, I grew up in the same house their whole lives. I have no idea what that would be like. And they're like, I have my best friends. And, um, so just different strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about the spectrum a little bit. Cause I, yeah. I can almost feel you on that. Uh, you know, in the sense that like, I'm, I've never went and got diagnosed or anything, but like yeah. there's, there's, there's definitely a tendency for hyper focus, you know, blocking out. Like if, if the conversation fits on certain topics, I'm, I'm, I'm there. If it's not, I'm not like, yeah. and maybe that's similar to you. How has podcasting, if it has been, been a blessing to you in that way? Yeah. Yeah. So being able to work with some of the, I mean, top podcasters in the world has been amazing. And the reason for me, like every, every podcast I work with is different. But anytime I get interested in any topic, it's almost meta where I'm like interested in doing the thing to understand how to do the thing. <laughs> and most people are like, well, I'm like, you know, we met at Ryan Pineda's event. He's like, I'm, I'm talking about real estate. Like I'm talking about investing, I'm talking about businesses. I have my podcast to do that. And I'm more interested in how the podcast works. And so, you know, podcasting has allowed me to focus in on something that I absolutely love that people respect and need um, because, you know, having a podcast is one of the best ways to grow your business. Um, but I am very much like you where it's like, if I love something, like I learned how to do YouTube better in six to 12 months than a buddy of mine. He had at the time, I think 120,000 subscribers. He had quit his job. He's doing it full time. It's like, how do you monetize this way, this way, and this way? He's like, I didn't know you could do any of those things. I'm like, wait, what? Wait, <laughs> like, what have you been, been doing? doing? <laughs> yeah. Like, how are you making <laughs> that much money then? Um, but that's, that's how my brain works. I, I, I will obsess over it while I'm sleeping, while I'm watching movies. Like my brain just keeps going over and over and over because that's my thing. Um, so I've been very blessed to have the thing that I'm obsessed with, you know, be something others respect and can make them a lot of money. A hundred percent. And it's like the, one of the things that I love about podcasting is, is the person, first of all, that's across from you on the podcast wants to be there. They signed up. Mm -hmm. Second of all, there's usually a shared mutual topic that you've both agreed on that you want to talk about. So there's no talk about the weather. There's no talk yeah. about all this other stuff. It's like right to what we care about. And for someone that's on the spectrum, that's like one of the coolest things in the world. Like, yeah. um, yeah. Cause, cause like you said, there's, there's a hyper fixation on how things work. Like, and it's very, very narrow and you get to share that right away. So, yeah. um, now you learned from your parents that you, the lifestyle was entrepreneurship and you carried mm -hmm. that, but you didn't carry on the real estate. So talk yeah. to us about what led to that. Yeah. Um, I mean, even so the first real estate book I remember reading, uh, was probably when I was 14. I mean, rich dad, poor dad, not really real estate, but, uh, the million dollar real estate investor was one of the early books I read as well. Um, I don't know. I always felt like it was something I would do, but I would, I think this is the blessing of also being on the spectrum. I would ask people like, just, I'm just curious generally. Like if I have a problem in my life, I ask other people. And I had a couple of managers, mentors that I'm like, Hey, like, how do you make money? Like, Oh, I, I owned real estate when I was younger. It's like, okay, well, what was that like? I'm like, Oh, it was like the tenants and having property management, like things like that. I'm like, okay, I don't want to flip houses. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of being away from family. So maybe I'll do a long-term like, breaking it down, just actually doing it in my head. It just never clicked. It never felt right. I feel like now I still want to do it, but even when I think of it, it's like, why would I try to go find deals myself when there are people like Ryan Pineda's of the world where it's like, Hey, just invest capital with us. We'll do all of the hard work and you can just make, you're not gonna make as much money, but you're not taking any risk. And so in my brain, I'm like, ah, I'm really good at what I do. I love what I do. So why would I take time away from what I enjoy to go do the hard work? Because 
if you're going to make it in real estate, you have anything, you have to know your craft. You have to be good at it. You have to have a couple of losses. Maybe those losses mean you break even and you just lose that on time, which would be you know, kind of the best way to do that. But it's going to be a, a process. It's going to be a journey. And so if I can just get in on people that are already the best in the world, I would much rather do that. So maybe at some point, I mean, we're close to Denver, so there are ample opportunities. I'm sure I've, I actually have uh, notifications from like Zillow and other things. So it's like, Hey, new property. I'm like, Oh, this is not like, I'm still interested in it. It just hasn't happened yet. Well, this is an interesting point that you make and it's an absolute gem. It's something I've had to learn the hard way because I have gone into real estate and even being in real estate, I'm considering what you're talking about because it's like, when you go and you do all the flipping and investing, that's all the time and energy you can't put into your podcasting business. Mm -hmm. And therefore you're going to make less money. So whatever money extra you might have made here, you're going to probably lose as much or more over here. Yeah. And now you're going to be doing this, which you probably like this more anyways. Yeah. Uh, and so for us people that are maniacally focused that want to be in one lane, like the, you know, the people that are already doing it and having syndications or ways that you can invest is likely the way to go. Um, yeah. let's dive into the strategies. So you have done something that I really admire and respect, which is you have turned the podcasting into a business format from a guest level. And so I want to dive in, like if, if we can whiteboard this, so to speak, mm -hmm. visually, mentally, how does someone who started a podcast monetize and monetize early? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the best way to, we have a lot of frameworks, a lot of things that we go over. My business partners, Evan Carmichael. So if you look at his friends, like on his channel, like that's the level of people we work with. Um, but we have a lot of frameworks. The number one, I think that most people benefit from is the one we talked about at Ryan's event where you have the three different show types. And most people, they look at like Joe Rogan or someone successful in podcasting. And they're like, I'm going to do a show like that and I'm going to make money. It's like that there's a lot going on there that you're not seeing. And a lot of the time it's like, Hey, thought leadership. So we have the three shows. We have biz dev, we have show the process and we have thought leadership. That's where most people start. It's like, Hey, here's how to solve this problem. Here's what I believe on this topic. Here's my guest who says, this is how to do these things. That'll get you known. If you do it right, there are ways to do it wrong. I've worked with a client who did it wrong for a decade. And when they went to like launch their book, she couldn't cause she didn't do the things that she needed to to be known as an expert. So you can even do, you can do thought leadership wrong. Um, but that'll get you known three to 10 years from now for whatever the thing is that you want to be known for. It's great. It's like your IRA. It's like, you know, your investments put 10% aside, 20% aside. It's going to grow, but it's not going to get you business now. It's not going to make you a lot of money now. Um, if we start at the top of the pyramid where I say people should start, that's the biz dev that's on your podcast. Who is someone that would benefit your business? Pretend this is going to get zero downloads, zero views, zero anything, except for the relationship. Is that a high ticket client that maybe you couldn't get in front of? It's like, hey, I want, I love your business. I want to support you, and you know, basically broadcast and market you for an hour, and it'll go out to as many people as I can get in front of. Ninety nine percent of people are going to say yes, like they would love to that. Especially, I mean, you're trying to work with someone who's not a top level creator in the world who wants a million downloads like there's a very very small handful of people that are that way i guarantee you can find someone so what's a relationship that you can get maybe they're a good referral partner maybe they're not a good client but their clients need your service and getting an hour's worth of time with them to know i like, can trust you will make you the face that they remember um, so that's where most people should start those those will get views but nothing like any of the other ones are because the problem with those is you're gonna be all over the place you're getting to know the person like 
it's about the relationship. And so it's not this topic of how to do X, like how to make a million dollars in real estate investing. Like that's very interesting. You probably get a lot more views than, hey, interviewed this CFO at a local company. Like people don't care as much, but for you, you're building those relationships, which is the most important. Um, so, so what you're yeah. describing here is show format. So in show format, you want to mm -hmm. be their story and who they are so that you are yeah. able to connect with them on that deep level. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it can go anywhere you want. Um, it just needs to, you need to make sure that they feel like you're trying to help them help grow their business, get to know, like, and trust you and them as well. Um, in those shows, you can mention like if they bring something up in the middle where they're like, Hey, you know, we, we did this, this, and this, and it was really hard. And you're like, you know what? Actually, I want to work with my clients so that there's like this little hint. It should not feel forced. It should not feel salesy. Maybe it never comes up because it just doesn't feel right. But you can plant these little seeds of like, yeah, we, we could be a good referral partner for you. Or we could be a good person for you to work with on those problems. Um, but really, it's about that relationship wherever that takes you. And do you find that pursuing referral partners is an easier transition than pursuing people that would be direct clients? I think it's all about the mindset that you go into it with. If you go in with like, okay, I'm going to sell this person hard. We're going to like, this is going to, they're going to feel that because you've said, Hey, I want to market you. I want to get to know you. I want you on my podcast because I respect what you're doing. And then you're like, sell, sell, sell They're Like I, there's something off here. Like this feels weird. So if you go into the mindset of like, Hey, you could be a good client for me. Literally, I just want to build a good relationship. And if there's any point in time in this conversation where I can help you, I'm going to offer that that information, that help. Um, but I, it not, I don't expect, I think the expectation, if you expect them to sign up at the end, it's going to go differently than if you're like, this is, I'm just here to enjoy this conversation, just here to enjoy the relationship. Um, referral partners, I feel like you go into the same, with the same mindset of like, hey, I just want a good relationship. And hopefully you refer people to me. If not, I want you to remember me as that guy that you just absolutely loved being on a podcast. And, you know, hopefully you remember me for other things. But if not, you just really enjoyed the time and me supporting you and your business. Yeah. And I can echo this, man. Like the relationships you can build when you're focused on it are just tremendous. Um, and so let's talk about like if we were looking at, at this like as we were a sales manager and yeah. say, okay, all right, Zach, I'll buy into this. I'm going to go ahead and start a business through podcasting. Mm -hmm. You know, like sales is very like, okay, you make a hundred calls, you do this, et cetera. What yeah. sort of KPIs should someone be thinking about 10, every 10 interviews creates a piece of business? How should yeah. we structure it? Yeah. So I think this is going to, and in fact, I was just talking, I was on a call earlier and talking about this, but like there's volume and there's crappy volume. There's good volume. Like, so you have a lot of different things. So if you're doing crappy volume reps on your podcast, you're just pulling whoever on, it could be one in a hundred. Like it could be terrible that way. If you're doing good volume though, you're like, Hey, I really genuinely feel like based on everything I've seen from this person, I've done a little bit of research there. They would be an excellent client for us. They have the money. I feel like we really fit in. Like you've done all the work upfront instead of just, Oh, I have a list. Like when you're doing outbound calls, you just, Sometimes the number automatically pops up for you. You click dial. Like I worked in a, a startup where I did a lot of outbound calls and that's how it was. Like the next business that we were calling just popped up. We were going to do some coaching with them. Sometimes it went well, sometimes it didn't. And you never like hardly ever knew anything about the business before you called. If you do your work, if you do your research, it could be one in five. It could be one in 10. Um, and honestly, even I'm very much, I mean, you can call it, uh, Chris Doe calls it karmic equity. He's like, the law of karmic equity is real in that. 
if I'm bringing people on, I'm genuinely trying to market their business. I'm genuinely trying to help them. That's going to come back to me some way. It, I might not be able to connect the two, but because I'm giving and giving and giving, the, the universe has to give back in some capacity at some point because you've just given so much. Um, and I, I believe that to be true. I don't know that everybody does, but um, you know, I, I feel like if you genuinely are trying to help, it's going to come back. A hundred percent. Well, I mean, especially, I mean, I think the the right fit is such a great and powerful point because if you're taking enough time to message people that can refer you because mm -hmm. their clientele is also same as your clientele, so to speak, then you're going to be able to refer them. And so mm -hmm. you're going to be able to have an amazing conversation because you share a, a group of people that has the same problems. You're going to be able to deliver referrals to them and you're going to be able to lead with so much value where it's like great conversation. You give them referrals. Like the law of reciprocity is abounding in this human being. Um, so how important do you think it is that you be, be able to refer business first to your guests? Yeah, I think I even just, and you might view it as selfish to say, hey, come on my show, but they're viewing it as, oh my gosh, this person wants to help me. They want to interview me. They respect me. Like it's giving them a lot of things. And so even just the ask of coming on your show might be enough that they want to give back to you first. If you, I mean, if you can 100% give back to them, like, Hey, you know, what? actually, as you were talking, I have a potential client for you. I, I'm going to go ahead and send them over. Um, that can absolutely help, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, I mentioned that Evan Carmichael is my business partner, how that came about. And this, this framework that we're talking through is Evan's framework. Um, but I kind of did this on accident where I had a couple of podcast clients that I really needed answers for. There's, I think three questions that I had. I did like 40 hours of research and I couldn't find answers anywhere. But in a video, I saw Evan give a half answer. It's like, oh my gosh, okay, I need to study this guy. So I studied another 40 hours of his content. I made a 10 minute video on YouTube just because that was how I made content back then. I just researched, I had already done it. I was like, it's gonna take me like an hour to make this video. So I made the video, posted it, I tagged him. And then I just messaged him and said, hey, I'd love to have you on the show. You're like, he had half a million on, uh, not quite half a million on Instagram, but enough that it was, I was like, you're never going to see this. Yeah. It's like, I would love to have you on my show though. Cause I still have these three questions that I can't figure out. Hour, hour or two later sends me a video message. Yeah. I love the video you did on me. I would love to come on the show. I was like, what? Like, really? Yeah. This is, this is cool. And ended up investing in my business after talking through, I'd never asked those three questions. Um, he's like, Hey, I love what you're doing. Let's triple your business on this call. And I was like, okay what? cool and then he kept dropping hints of like hey you could be the next guy i invest in and then i talked to him after that and it was really really quickly after that he invested in the business and things were off so wow which is probably not even on your radar mm -mm. no no i just i thought what he was doing was awesome i had a couple of questions i, I that wasn't even i didn't even know he did that like i don't know that there's any way i could have known that he did that um thinking back on it but like Finding a mentor that takes a financial interest in your business is the number one hack game changer for your business that I know of. I wouldn't have said that before doing it. I was very, very nervous. It's like, oh, this might not go so well. Life-changing, 100% life-changing. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, so when I think of mentors, um, a lot of people say, hey, find a mentor. And whether it's books, podcasts, but like actually having someone that you can go to weekly and say, hey, I'm having these problems in my business. Help me. Um, you're asking for their time. You're stealing from them, essentially, unless you're giving something back. But usually if they're successful enough in the thing you want to do, there's not a whole lot you have to offer them. Um, but he's like, hey, I'm going to take 
X percentage interest in the business, X percentage comes to me, the rest goes to you. And, you know, if you want to do this deal, that's how it's going to work. I was like, that seems a little sketchy. I don't know. Um, my business had been okay. It wasn't great, but I was working very, very part-time stay-at-home dad and it's like doing some of the business. And um, I had a client that at that time we were ramping, we were going to start a business together and it all crashed. They're like, Hey, we overextended by 50 grand last month. We got to pause or let you over. We're so sorry. I was like, uh, that's literally all of my revenue right now. Cause I was slowly cutting clients oh. to be able to focus on this. And I had bills due in like two weeks. Um, so I was like, I, well, I'm not going to survive. Like we've got to do something. So I went to Evan. It's like, Hey, I'm, I'm not halfway on, on this. Let's do it. Let's go. Um, and we went from zero to a hundred grand a year in three weeks. And then we doubled that the next three weeks. Um, and I was like, okay, I will take a percentage of <laughs> this because it's way more than what I was doing before. Um, but I, I meet with him every single week. I can message him every single day when I have questions with the clients. He like my financial success is his financial success and finding a good human being that will do that for you is probably like, I call it divine intervention. Cause I, there's no way I could have known how to do that. Um, but if, if that opportunity comes up and there really is a person that's done what you want to do in your area, I would more than happily give up a percentage of business to be able to have, you know, percentage of 10 X what you were doing before. How much of the clients you signed came from his orbit? How much came from yeah. yours, but just doing things differently based on his mentorship? Yeah. So there were a couple of clients that I signed on that they didn't know Evan at all. And those clients didn't stick around very long. Um, the ones who, mm. whether he brings them in and we have a call together or I outreach and I say, Hey, Evan Carmichael is my business partner and they know him. They stick around for much, much longer because that's the other thing with this. He's built a name in this space. Like if you are in the entrepreneurship, the education, the podcast space on YouTube, there's nobody with more data than our team. There really isn't. And so if you know him, it's like, oh yeah, I, I didn't know I could work with him because he doesn't work with people the way I do. He's like, I will do strategy calls for friends. You can't buy time with me that way. And if you want someone to actually implement, Zach's your guy or one or two other people that he's invested in like this who are totally full and have wait lists for clients right now um, are the option. And so right now, I'd say, you know, like 20% of them are like him bringing them and the rest are me outreaching, but I'm using his name and like the thing that he's spent 15 years building. Whereas before it was like, I have to sell. Um, Ryan actually told this story um, at the event, so I'm okay telling it, but, but we keep our client list private. So I, I don't tell stories unless they've already been out there. Uh, but he's like, this guy got on the call and he gave me all this YouTube strategy and he was helping me. And finally at the end of the call, I'm like, where's the pitch, man? It's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, aren't, aren't you going to pitch me? He's like, no, I was hopping on the call to help you. Like I genuinely want you to win. He's like, okay, well, what do I have to pay you to work with you? And then we walk through it. It's like, okay, so when can we start? Like he's pitching me <laughs> to work right. with me. Whereas it was normally like, I have to sell really hard to get anyone interested. Cause I, nobody knows me. Um, but you might know Evan. So Exactly. And for guys like Ryan, that's a big deal, mm -hmm. right? Because they don't have a lot of the time to go vet anybody, but it's like, Hey, if this guy is partnered with this guy, mm -hmm. then the chances of success are a lot, lot higher. Yeah. hundred percent. So what are the top two or three lessons that you've learned from Evan? Oh my goodness. There's so many. Um, I think one that keeps coming up over and over is there's heart decisions and there's head decisions. And what drives your business and drives revenue 
is often a head decision and what drives personal satisfaction in your mission in life. Cause he's big on having a mission, having a word that really describes what you're here to do is a heart decision. And so in my content, I had three YouTube channels when I partnered with him and he's like, what are we doing here? What are we doing with all these? And I explained, he's like, okay, these are heart things. This is personal satisfaction. This is not going to build your business. When we think about the clientele we work with, none of them are going to be watching any of this and that's okay. So you have to be okay with, okay, cool. What am I going to do with this if it never, ever made money again? Because that's a hard decision. It shouldn't have to make money to be important. Um, it's a head decision. It's like, okay, what are the activities and things that you need to do to actually build the business? Maybe they're not the funnest because they're, they're not hard things, but they're important in actually building business. And there's usually one, two, three things that you really just need to focus in on and get really good at to build that way. And so I'll come to them with things like, hey, what about this? And it's like, Okay, this is heart versus head. What what what's the goal here? You tell me the goal, and we'll get there. Um, so I think that's one of the big ones. Second one is keep it simple. Like really, really focus in on the things that matter most. Um, too often in our businesses, we want to offer twenty seven services, and we want to serve everyone in the market. Like figure out who it is you want to serve, and the simplest way to do it, and triple down on that. Once that's big enough, and it makes sense which 99.9% .9 of us are never going to get to that place, then add, you know, five, six, eight services. Really, you should have like one, two, three, maybe four services that are 95% of your people are going to want and just focus in on it. Um, how we work with people is high ticket. We don't offer, we offer one operational service like done for you service. And that's because it's too tricky to teach and do well. And it's really, really important. There's not a whole lot of things that are that important on YouTube for growing but that happens to be one of them. So keep like avoid shiny objects. <laughs> Just keep doing the boring things that work because they work for a reason. Um, so many more lessons, but I'd say those are top two. So the, the service that you offer done for you, mm -hmm. like, like yeah. if you can give us some mm -hmm. top, like top things that you must be doing or can't be doing on on YouTube when you're podcasting. Yeah, yeah. So um, real quickly services we offer. So the number one is strategy. You can't work with us unless you're doing strategy. Um, the one that I just talked about done for you is A-B testing the videos because you can take one of the examples is Evan took a four-year-old video, A-B tested the thumbnail and went from 200 views a day to 12,000 views a day. And it was four years old. So you can absolutely resurrect old videos. Um, the other one that we'll do is uh, mashups, which is basically taking clips from other videos and helping you to create long content. That way you can actually get more content up because there's a cadence that you want to be posting at. Then we do video editing. We don't offer that often. Be like we price it high enough because our guys are good enough that it's cheaper for you to just hire someone on staff and pay them. Um, that's almost nobody does that. And that's, that's for a good reason. But on your podcast, on YouTube, number one, get your thumbnails right. Like three to five words on the thumbnail, hook people in. What, why am I watching your video? 70% of people are just going to decide from your thumbnail whether or not to watch the video. So your title is not nearly as important as you think it is. It still has, it has several things it can do, but if your thumbnail isn't on point, then it, it doesn't matter. And the best designed thumbnail almost always loses to the simple thumbnail with a good hook on it. Um, it's I, I can't tell you how many clients we have in the six, seven figure subscriber range. They're like, I hate my thumbnails but I love the click-through rates. <laughs> um, so it's just, you got to get that right. 
who should we be studying for thumbnails? Um, if you look at Evan, any of Evan's friends on there, um, like people he's interviewed, if you go look at their thumbnails, almost all of them have like it's boring. If it's boringly consistent, um, you can look at like Stephen Bartlett or Tom Billu or like go look at it is so boring that's what works well because if i watch one of your videos you want to pretend i've never seen a piece of your content ever and mm. tomorrow youtube's going to show me another video and if i can't know within a split second that this new video is the same as the one i watched yesterday i'm not going to click it and that sends a signal to youtube that i don't like your content that much i just watch one video when i watch your channel not like if you have thumbnails that are too different, you don't know it's different. Like you, you just scrolled past it. You didn't even think of it, but YouTube's taking that signal of when people watch one video, they just watch one. So there's no point in suggesting this channel because it doesn't get us a return on our investment of suggesting the video. Yeah. And so simple design, three to five mm -hmm. words. You mentioned to me in Vegas, like the, the faces need to be bigger, mm -hmm. right? It yes, needs to be obvious 100%. even from a mobile, mobile view. Yep. But what three to five words? Like, I mean, give me some examples of good mm -hmm. and bad. Yeah. So this is where like congruency of the thumbnail and the first minute of the video is super, super important. So if you have a podcast, there's one of two ways that are really, I think there's multiple ways, but two main ways. One is to have a coming sooner or a trailer. This is where editor goes through and finds nuggets of gold that are fast paced, high energy. We're putting at the beginning. We want it ideally closer to 60 seconds, but between 30 and 60 seconds. And it's just like, it's like a trailer for a movie. It's like all the jam-packed amazingness all in one minute. And whatever is in that first 15 seconds needs to start to deliver on that hook. So if you said how to make a million dollars investing in real estate, or like you wouldn't put the, all of that on the thumbnail, but something where it's like, hey, I'm, I know what the video is about. It is actually answering a question that I have and I want to click on it. So I click on it. And in the first bit, you're like the start of this podcast. If you just jump into that where it's like, Hey, let's talk about crazy story. It's like, wait a second. I wanted to learn about investing. Like, I don't know if I can sit through an hour of this, but if in the beginning you say you start with, I've moved 30 times. So my dad flipped houses and like, you're going through some exciting stuff. Like, okay, cool. This might actually answer what I'm talking about. I'm going to give you a lot longer. I know this is an hour long video. I know there's a lot of stuff in here, but if I don't know in that first minute that you're delivering on whatever you promised in that thumbnail, I'm gone. Cause I'm going to go find a shorter video or, more concise video that's actually going to answer my questions. So there's no right or wrong. It's, is there congruency between the thumbnail, the first minute and what's actually in the rest of the podcast? Um, okay. Yeah. I'm going to prepare you now for the end of the episode. All right. At the end of the episode, I'm going to ask you what should be the title, okay. thumbnail and hook of this particular video we're doing right now. So okay. just, just Keep future pacing mind. there. Yeah. Keep it down your mind. Yeah. This is really, really great information. Now let's tie this back to the, the fact that let's say this podcast and a lot of podcasts mm -hmm. are what you recommend a biz dev. So yeah. the point of the, of the conversation is to build a relationship to really understand you understand what you're doing, maybe yeah. more so than laying out a how to for the audience. So given that this story and narrative might flow all over the place, how then do you handle titles and thumbnails? <sighs> Can you say that one more time? Okay. So, so one of our things, cause we've very much been a biz dev type podcast. Mm -hmm. So our YouTube views are very low or actually our audio listens are, are, are not bad, but okay. our video views are very, very low. It could be your thumbnails and, and some other things. But what we found is when we go to think about titles and thumbnails, it's like, we're really just like learning this person's story and they'll mm -hmm. share some nuggets of gold, but it's, it's really just about the person themselves. And so yeah. we've had a hard time thinking about titles and thumbnails. 
So, and that's where, I mean, we didn't quite get into the show, the process show. That's where titles, thumbnails are going to get you more views. This is where views aren't going to be as high, but there is a way to start to do this. Um, if you want to build a story arc in that first minute, what I mean by that is in that first third of the episode, middle third, last third, pull 15 seconds, 20 seconds from each and create kind of the story that relates to the topic. And so if in this episode, for example, you talk like the title, something to do with how to use a podcast to build your business. And one way I would figure out if this, that's a good title, go on YouTube, search what you think you want and find videos that have more views than subscribers. If they have more views than subscribers, it's underserved. And it's a great title Ooh. to either copy or mimic. Um, sometimes you'll word something a certain way and you're like, nobody's searching this. Nobody's viewing this. Even though it's the same topic, you, you might have to go more general. You might have to, you know, um, the best way to build your business that you're not doing. Something where it's like, okay, I'm not even talking about a podcast because maybe people searching for a podcast aren't the right audience. Maybe it's someone searching how to grow their business in ways that they aren't thinking about. Um, so if you have a title that way, we have, you know, okay, cool. I've got that. I've already got signals from YouTube. What's the hook here? You know, um, you know, 10X your business with minimal effort. Something where it's like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. I have framework of the title. I'm thinking, okay, cool. I want to I want 10X my business, double my business. I want to do something that way, build my personal brand, whatever it is, however we're doing that. And then... Uh, make sure there's congruency in that first minute. So that will get you more views. You do want to be a little clickbaity on the thumbnail. Not in a bad way, though. Like, it, it's like the trailer of a movie. Sometimes you see the trailer, and it's like a third of the best moments are all in that trailer. And you're like, okay, like, I thought there was going to be more action in this, but it did deliver. Like, there, there were these moments. There was this thing on the thumbnail. If it is double your business in 30 days, it's like, oh, my gosh, there's no way. And you click on it, and someone actually walks you through how to double your business in 30 days from the thing that they're talking about. It's like, okay, that was, I mean, that, that baited my click, but then you actually delivered on that thing. So too often you have gold nuggets, you have amazing content in your podcast, but because there's so much other content, people like they don't, they don't see it at the beginning because you're not getting those intros. You're not doing a solid hook on the thumbnail. Um, sometimes if you really want to, like, if you look at Tom Bilyeu, he doesn't do coming soon. Like his first question is a question that most people don't ask until an hour into an interview. And it's like, holy crap. Like he just kicked me in the stomach with this like amazing value 15 seconds in. That's that's a way to do that. And then people will watch it. You'll get more views. But then he can have a really, really strong hook on the thumbnail because he's kicking you in the stomach or the teeth in that first 15, 20 seconds with value delivering on that thumbnail. So I would look at it and just, what are the best moments? Sometimes maybe we need to cut out some bluff and that's okay. But if it's about the relationship, maybe we want to leave some more of that. It's just, what's the goal of this video? Is is this a relationship building video and that's it? Or is this more for views? We just got to look at what the what the goals are. Well, this is really interesting because I don't, I don't know that they're mutually exclusive and I'd love to have mm -hmm. a discussion on this. So essentially yeah. like we're usually getting to a point in the episode where this person tells us something amazing that they've done, whether it be strategy or results or something usually as you know we're we're asking the craziest real estate experience at first because we're like yeah. oh that's cool it's crazy experience yeah but maybe that's really wrong right maybe do we need to push that back a bit and and in the pre-call or in the pre-show or in our research we discover like something amazing with numbers and success mm -hmm. bring that as question one yeah yeah and if you look at a lot of people have like a final question of their show that's always the same and so maybe for you it's like, okay, we like to end our show with asking our guests, what's the craziest real, like, 
it's it could be a good way to start and maybe that trailer is enough to hook people in and then you excite them with these crazy experiences so that could work at the beginning or maybe you could test putting it at the end see if that does better um and in your youtube studio you can see how fast people are dropping off like our gold standard that nobody hits all the time but if you hit this you know that it is going to do well is at one minute 70 percent of people still watching that is very very hard to do if you've ever looked at your analytics but if you you know, look at yours and you're like, I have like 25, 30%. Okay, cool. Let's put a coming soon. Let's put a trailer. Let's put that exciting thing at the beginning and then see what happens. Okay, cool. We're at 30%, 35%. Okay. Maybe that first question needs to go to the end. Oh, it bumped up or it dropped. And then, then we can know, okay, no, nope, we need to structure it how we were, change it. I, we're big about testing anything. Like for Evan's channel alone, for thumbnail tests, they've done over 30,000 AB tests let alone all the clients that we've worked with. And so huge, huge on data. Like there's, there's no right or wrong. We do have best practices. We do have things that we've tested thousands of times and we're pretty sure work and they work for almost every client. Um, but sometimes there's structures that are different and you just need to test and see what's working better. Yeah. How do you know when you've optimized? Yeah. Like, um, so for thumbnails and your videos, things like that, <sighs> So this, this gets hard. This is why working with someone with me is helpful because some people say, okay, like, in fact, um, Mark, is it Mark Till, Tilbury, maybe, um, on Instagram, he's on YouTube, he's everywhere, but they were requesting someone to design thumbnails and like, we want to see over a 10% click through rate. Problem with that is it's contextual. So some of our best videos with any of the clients that I work with are 1.5% click through rate. The reason for that is it's being shown to millions of new people. And so it does have a low click-through rate, but I will take a 1.5% click-through rate with 10 million impressions over a 10% click-through rate with 100,000 impressions because you get way, way more people actually clicking through when YouTube is searching for a new audience for you. You're building your audience that way. And so when we do A-B testing, we look at impression bands. And so if we have these five videos between 500 and 600,000 impressions for the month. One of them is going to have a really high click-through rate, maybe 7.9%. The others are going to be 3%, 4%, like lower. It's like, okay, cool. Let's test these three or four that are lower and see if we can match the highest one. We're going to leave the highest one the way it is. It's, it's crushing our normal numbers for whatever reason. Let's see if we can match that. And you're going to see different ranges for that. Same with view duration. You make a three-hour-long podcast... Your average watch time is probably going to be 20 minutes, maybe longer. But like percentage-wise, that's not really great. Versus if I make a 10-minute video and I get five minutes of watch time, that's a great percentage, but it's actually not very competitive for that length of video. And so it's having someone like me, it's like understanding all of the nuances um, is really important. But if you want to look at your own channel and say, hey, is this doing well? If you have any videos with more views than subscribers, that video is doing well. I don't care if you have 100 subscribers or 100,000. If it has more views than subscribers, it's doing fairly well. Is your channel continuing to grow? If it's stagnant, eh, maybe like, even if it's like you know slowly trending up, that's something we like. There's a lot of ebbs and flows on YouTube. So you have to look at longer periods of times, but slowly over time, are you increasing the amount of views, the amount of watch time, things like that. Watch time is most important for YouTube. Um, subscribers and views are important, but I've seen channels blow up with shorts and barely make a nudge on their long form content and their channel doesn't really grow 
in a meaningful way with their business, with their AdSense, with getting paid. Um, they just have the vanity metric of having hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Yeah. So when we're talking about testing and splitting, I mean, one of the mm -hmm. things you said earlier was that consistency is key, mm -hmm. simple consistency. But when you test, it can obviously cause you to maybe want to break away from consistency. So when you're testing, can you give us more clarity on like, is it just changing the thumbnail words? Are you yeah. testing the thumbnail layouts? Yeah. Yeah. So initially when I do A-B testing with any client, it is thumbnails. We have a leadership thumbnail template that has worked time and time again and hasn't really been beat out by anything else. So I'm going to take whatever they've been doing and format it into that leadership thought, the template. It's really just what we talked about. Big faces, text on the left or in the middle if you have two faces, make a couple of words pop. Like it's, it's fairly simple, but it almost always beats out whatever they're doing. After that, um, changing the style up, changing the text, change, like we want to change one variable at a time. So when I find something that works, it wins seven out of 10 times. I'm going to test another 10. So I'll do 50 tests a month. 10 of the 50 are going to be this new style. I want to see how many of those actually win. And if seven out of 10 win on that, I know this new style is more effective than the old one. And so if you test more than one variable at a time though, so say I tested the thumbnails, but I also switched up the intro like the style of it anyway. Every intro is going to be slightly different, but I, I went from having just going into the podcast to now also having, you know, the trailer too. It's like, okay, well, did the thumbnail, how the thumbnail framed the video, did that get people to watch longer? Or did the trailer do it? Or was it a combination? If you're just trying to grow the channel, if you're just trying to do better, applying all these things all at the same time is great because you're just going to get results. Once you start to see, ah, we're not really going up anymore. So, okay, now let's do some A-B tests. Now let's, let's change some things. Um, and the problem with A-B tests is it takes a good amount of data to get back enough to say, hey, this is what's working, what's not. And so sometimes A-B tests take months, sometimes they take days. Um, so for smaller channels, I don't recommend using softwares to do A-B tests. If you see a video that's not doing great, like give it a week or two, swap the thumbnail, give that a week or two and just compare the two. It's like, okay, cool. This format seems like it's working a little better. Let's try it out. Um, the thing you don't want to do there, though, is have 20 different thumbnail styles on your channel. If you're going to swap them, you want to start swapping old ones as well, because that'll actually bring old videos to life. Hmm. Okay, got it. So so you, you're inconsistent in a way as you're testing, but then you mm -hmm. create consistency. So, okay, so let's take our channel, for example. We have, yeah. we've recorded like two, well, like close to 300 episodes. And, and so there's a lot of thumbnails. I mean, that can get yeah. a little bit pricey. I mean, even with using yeah. virtual assistants or whatnot, I mean, like if you want to swap out, let's say you're paying 10 bucks a thumbnail or whatever. I mean, that's like yeah. 3000 bucks to swap yeah. out our thumbnails. So what would be your recommendation? And our views are like 15, 25, hundred, 250. Yeah. Like we're not talking 10,000 views an episode or anything on YouTube. Yeah. So yeah. How do, how do we think about that? So what I would do for that, go, I would go into your studio, go into your advanced analytics and look at like sort, you can sort videos by impressions. Look at the videos that are getting the most impressions for that month with the lowest click-through rates and optimize the top 10 or 20. 80-20 rule applies here. Like so, uh, it applies in so many things. It definitely applies here. When I'm working with a client, I bring them on for our AdSense strategies, where to place ads, I will optimize their top 20 videos because that takes care of most of it. When I'm looking at thumbnail testing, I'm sorting this by impressions and I'm working top down. I want to work with the videos that YouTube is showing the most at the moment and get those optimized. So um, don't, don't think you have to swap all 300 of them. 
over time, like to have that consistency, that's probably something you want to do. But if a video is getting one view a month, I would, it, it shouldn't be on your radar right now. Like just focus on the one that's getting 10,000 impressions, but you have a half a percent click through rate. Cause if you can get that to 1% or 2%, mm. you've significantly increased the amount of views your channel is going to get. And that one video might get you more views than optimizing another 20 because it was the one that YouTube's showing the most. Okay. So basically if you don't have any thumbnails that are having really high click through rates, mm -hmm. then go ahead and go to ones that are getting tons of impressions and try and make that one better over and over again. Yeah. So it's something where like, if it's getting a lot of impressions, YouTube will continue to give it impressions, even if people aren't clicking it. So YouTube algorithm. So for education to content, long content, I'm talking minimum 10 minutes. I like to advise 20 minutes plus fastest growing segments, one to three hours. That's why I love podcasts. So when I think of the three of us that do this with Evan, all of us have different specialty areas. The other two don't focus on podcasts. I love podcasts. Um, but education type content lives forever because YouTube can show more ads. It gives YouTube what it wants, which is more time on platform. They just, it checks all the boxes. And so YouTube over time will go through old videos and say, Hey, like this video has the makings of a good video. Let's, let's test it. Let's see if we can get it. We'll, we'll give it a week or however long it decides. And it will just keep sending it out to people. I've seen videos that had like a 0.1% click through rate and they're getting hundreds of thousands of impressions. And it's this five-year-old video and YouTube like is showing it's like this for some reason did well in the beginning and it's not doing well now. We're just going to keep trying to get it to do well. And if you swap that thumbnail and it goes up to 1% click-through rate, it'll start to skyrocket because YouTube's still showing it. So if you're creating under 10 minute long content, the amount of videos that are in that length, you have to be just incredibly competitive. Like you have to have people watching 70% of your video. Um, whereas if you're in a one to three hour range, there's so little content there and YouTube prefers that because it keeps people on platform more. You don't have to be nearly as good at that to keep people watching and to have YouTube show that content over and over for years to come. Wow. So you have made an amazing decision to partner with Evan Carmichael, which is one of your, you know, amazing decisions you've made so far. What would be like your highest achieve result, your most proud moment? Like if you were to summarize in, you know, a, a minute or two, like what's, what's the greatest thing you've accomplished so far in the podcasting world? <sighs> I think, and I don't know this relates directly to Evan, but just even being here, um, if you look at, I might get a little emotional on this, you look at men in my family, the average age that they die and mostly related to mental health is early 40s. Um, and they live lives doing jobs that they hate and don't, they just don't enjoy the life, the little life that they did have. And I don't know, I was interested in video really young. Um, I, I actually recorded my first YouTube video in 2008. I never posted it, um, but the, the little inklings were there um, for a long time. And I actually went to school to be a PA, got a degree in pathophysiology and nutrition. And I just didn't feel like that was the right thing for me. And so sticking it out so many years of this just not working, like this shouldn't have worked. This is my 12th business, it, it shouldn't have worked. Um, but it did. And Evan is a big part of why it's still here. Um, but without Evan, I was working with fortune 500 clients. I was working with agencies. I was doing, okay. It was really big ups and ups and downs, <laughs> really nice contract. And then nothing for months with Evan, you know, some of the clients that we've had, we've been able to triple 
um, subscriber rates and AdSense and like go from like low four figures a month of YouTube paying you to, you know, advertise your business to five figures a month of YouTube paying you to advertise your business um, in just a really short time. So there's a lot of cool experiences that way. But I mean, just even being in this space, which it's such a small space, people don't even think about like a YouTube podcast strategist. Uh, that's not a job. <laughs> that's not a job description right now. Maybe one day it will be, but um, just being here and being able to do what I do um, and being happy with the work that I do every day um, is is a miracle, honestly. What can be better than that, man? Doing what you love all day long. Guys, first of all, Zach, thank you so much for sharing about yeah. your life and your business. You've dropped some nuggets. that's going to take me weeks to put together and implement. So I appreciate you for that. So for those of you out there listening, write down something that you learned today. If you got a podcast or even if you're just putting out YouTube content, there is so much information about thumbnails and things that you could do to improve. So write it down, share it with somebody you know, so they can hold you accountable. This freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day, before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode.